Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. And welcome to the Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 328. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and today is a solo show. Valerie is tied up with her uh, raw material business and formulating business, and uh, I am traveling, but we hadn't done a show in a while, and I wanted to get a show out and answer a bunch of questions that have been piling up. So today, I'm just going to answer as many questions as I can in kind of a rapid format setting. And uh, yeah, let's just uh, head on over to the questions. Our first question comes to us from Zamzam. Zamzam says, does cetyl alcohol wash off using anionic surfactants or does it wash off by itself? So if you don't know, acetyl alcohol is a common ingredient that you're going to find in hair care products. Normally, it's going to be something that's used in hair conditioners. It's used to give it the conditioner an opaque look, the, the, you know, the white creamy look. Acetyl alcohol is part of that. It's what you would call also a co-emulsifier because it's a little bit compatible with oils, but it's also compatible with water. Um, it can actually have a, a thickening effect, too. So acetyl alcohol, though, typically will rinse away just with the water. You do not need any special anionic surfactants to wash it away, you know, because it is a bit of an emulsifier. It has a OH group on the end of it, and so that's going to stick out and combine with water. So it can usually be lifted off and rinses away by itself. You don't really need an anionic surfactant specifically, and in a conditioner, in fact, there are just cationic surfactants and other emulsifiers, which pretty much help to remove the acetyl alcohol. So, do you need uh, anionic surfactants to remove acetyl alcohol? No, you do not. It's a good ingredient, uh, and incidentally, it's not an alcohol like ethanol, although they both have OH groups on the molecule. It's vastly different, and if you're worried about alcohol drying out your hair or your skin, cetyl alcohol is not the kind of alcohol that would do that. Our next question comes to us from Amy. Amy says, thanks for what you do. Great podcast, very informative. I had a question for you. What do you think of dessert dates in skincare products? I'm looking to try products with this in it, but I don't know if I should. All I know is it's a good anti-inflammatory, and it has components of benzoic acid. I'm not sure if that's right about this, but that's what the article said. Anyway, what do you guys think? I always need an ingredient in your skincare for you to believe. But dessert dates? Look, if you want a product that has benzoic acid in it, then look for benzoic acid. Uh, whenever you're getting... A plant extract that has an, a level of an ingredient, be it a vitamin or a salicylic acid or a benzoic acid, it's always going to be better to just get that ingredient rather than the extract. Because as plant extracts go, you never know what you're getting. You don't know how the ingredient was extracted from the plant. You don't know the solvent that it's in. And you also don't know how much of the ingredient is in your final formula. Typically, when we would use extracts in our formulations, we would buy a 1% solution, 
the 1% would be the plant part, and the other 99% was something like propylene glycol or glycerin. And then we would take of that solution, we would put, you know, 0.1% in the finished formula. That's enough to be able to claim that it's on the label, but it's not really doing anything in there. And so as far as dessert dates go, I haven't seen any evidence that a dessert date extract would provide you any special benefit to the skin. If it has benzoic acid in it, I would say look for an agree look for a product that specifically lists benzoic acid. Uh, you, you know, dates, dessert dates. I, I just don't see any special benefit that you're going to get from it. You know, I think it makes an interesting story, and I would expect it's going to have some sort of proteins in it, so it could give you a humectant effect. So it could attract uh, you know moisture to the skin uh, but I wouldn't expect you to notice any real benefit I would say stick with the standard good old-fashioned moisturizers and leave the dates on your dessert our next question comes to us from Shirley she's asking about serums uh, can you talk about how long it takes for a in- skincare ingredient to penetrate the skin and gain the benefits from them I mean, I guess this all depends on what you mean by penetration. If you just mean that you put a product on your skin and then you rub it in until it is gone, uh, then, you know, that can be pretty quick uh, for a well-formulated emulsion. The more occlusive agent you have in there, the more greasy it's going to feel, the more emollients it can make it feel greasier. But if you formulate it right and you have the right emulsion system, it can rub in pretty quickly. Um, However, as far as penetration goes, this is just penetrating a few layers down in the stratum corneum in in the epidermis, uh, still considered the outer layer of the skin. And in there, there aren't any living cells. So any of those like, quote unquote, active ingredients that are supposed to, you know, boost collagen production, affect elastin, um, and be anti-inflammatories or hyperpigmentation, it's not going to have an effect if it's just sticking around the stratum corneum. There just aren't any living cells there. So for a lot of those uh, active ingredients, penetrating into the stratum corneum isn't particularly helpful. Now for ingredients like ceramides, uh, hyaluronic acid, I could even see antioxidants like vitamin E, maybe vitamin C, uh, or alpha hydroxy acids like a glycolic acid or the beta hydroxy acids like uh, salicylic acid, those can actually have an effect in the stratum corneum. The hyaluronic acids, uh, the ceramides, those are going to be humectants, and so those can help to uh, attract water to those surfaces. The alpha hydroxy acids actually help as exfoliators, and so that's going to work in the stratum corneum. But As far as things like retinol and niacinamide, uh, polyphenols, flavonoids, uh, resveratrol, that sort of thing, um, if it just stays in the stratum corneum, it's not actually going to have any any effect. It's just going to eventually grow out, uh, get pushed out as the skin grows, and it's going to be, you know flop off under your pillow or or just into your bathroom. It's going to go with all the dead skin there. So it's not going to have an effect if it stays there. Now, many of these ingredients never get to the lower levels of the skin, say the dermis, where that's where the living cells are. Uh, But if they do penetrate, uh, they are going to penetrate rather quickly. And I would say 
certainly less than six hours, maybe less than two hours or something like that. Uh, but penetration is kind of a complicated thing. It's difficult to say exactly how much time it's going to take because there's so many factors involved, uh, the environment, the chemistry of your own skin, which is specific. So it's, it's hard to measure. And you know, to measure it on living people's skin, the speed at which it penetrates, that'd be very difficult. The way that you measure penetration is typically, in the old days, we used to take uh, either pig skin uh, uh, samples or you, you know, you might get the sample of a human cadaver and then you put the ingredient on there and you can measure it at the speed at which it uh, goes from the surface of the skin and into the liquid below. Um, and the, we had some sort of specific name for those tubes, so I can't recall at the moment, but that's what we used to do to measure penetration. It's only a model, too. It's not really human skin penetration. Even a cadaver, while it is human skin, it's dead human skin so it's not like you have a dermis below and such so it's it's a very crude model but uh, so that's why it's very difficult to know what factors are involved and how fast ingredients do penetrate to really get that to work you would need to like radio tag that with maybe some sort of uh, nuclear uh, it's nuclear radio tagging that's what they call it and uh, then you can you know, measure the radioactivity that gets through the skin. But of course, you know, who wants to volunteer for that? So, you know, we just don't really know. But as far as things go, the way that you determine whether something penetrated and had an effect, you can, you just do like a clinical effect and you look and see, are you getting the benefits over time? And if you are, you just kind of assume that, oh, it must have penetrated and had that effect. Uh, but that could be wrong too. So it's a uh, it's a little bit of a complicated question, um, and uh, the answer is we really don't necessarily know how long it takes for things to penetrate. Thanks for that question. We, next question comes to us from Rashni. Rashni says, "Are body serums worth worth it? And what kind of body serums should people be actually looking for?" Well, I are they worth it? I I guess I don't know uh, what would qualify for you being worth it. Maybe it's not the same thing that I would. And so I'm going to say, what would make a serum worth it to me? To me, if it solved a specific problem that you were having, that would mean a serum would be worth it. And so if you had a, say, hyperpigmentation on your skin, like on your hands, and you had a serum where you could put the serum on that spot and that would make the hyperpigmentation go away, then certainly that serum would be worth it. Um, similarly, if you had a serum that could make your scars look better or make your scars disappear, that would certainly be worth it. But an overall body serum, I that sounds like a skin moisturizer to me. Uh, that's just really sounds more like a... A marketing story, a marketing ploy. Um, I can't think of a, a specific serum, an all-over body serum that would provide you any benefit more than a regular moisturizer. But on the other hand, if you like using serums and it makes you feel good, so go ahead. There, there isn't likely to be much harm in using a serum all over your body. 
I just wouldn't expect that you would have any specific benefit. But whenever you're doing skin treatments, you should always think, what specific problem are you trying to solve? And question two, is it going to be solved by just using a moisturizer? Usually, the answer is yes, it will be solved by just using a moisturizer. Now, if you're talking about something like, yeah, like hyperpigmentation or rosacea or something, yeah, a moisturizer can help with those, but even a serum that specifically targets some of those conditions, those don't necessarily work either. Uh, so stick with good moisturizing. Thanks for that question. All right, the next question comes to us from Jill. We are just rapid-firing through here. I am Perry Romanowski, half of the Beauty Brains, doing a solo episode today because, you know, Valerie uh, couldn't make it tonight, and uh, I didn't want too much time to go through, uh, go past before we got an episode out. So here it is. You got you got solo Perry. Maybe sometime I'll do a like a call-in show where we specifically uh, just do off-the-cuff answers. And so this is a little bit off-the-cuff, uh, but you know, I we had a lot of questions come in, and I didn't want us to get too far uh, with a backlog. So here is a question from Jill. Jill says, "I left coconut oil on my hair overnight, then washed." Wash it, and it left my hair feeling dry and brittle. I have heard others say the same thing, yet many people swear by it and love using it. Is it true uh, it can damage hair or certain types of hair? What about cholesterol treatments used with heat? Any advice? Oh, any advice. Well, you know, if you don't like the way that coconut oil left uh, in your hair feels, then I would say stop doing it. Um, beauty products are very individual. Someone might like the way that a treatment makes their hair feel, while others won't like it, even though it maybe it feels the same way uh, to to both people. Like some, it's the way your hair feels. It's very a personal thing. Now, so you shouldn't let what other people think of a treatment be the indication of whether it's working for you or not. Only you can really decide that. Now, as far as putting coconut oil in your hair, there is evidence that uh, pe- that oil can penetrate your hair, and it penetrates the hair better than something, say, like mineral oil, which just stays on the surface of the hair. So if it does penetrate your hair, it could make your hair feel softer, maybe more flexible, uh, but, you know, it sounds like you didn't have this experience, and honestly, I see soaking your hair overnight in oil, that's that seems like overkill to me. Uh, if you want soft, manageable hair, it's going to be tough to beat a silicone conditioner. It's really, that that's your best bet. Now, if you're worried about uh, hair being weighed down or something, use a uh, a volatile silicone like uh, cyclomethicone or something like that but as far as you know soaking your hair in oil i i for, for me personally i think it's it's just gonna weigh your hair down too much especially if you have you know dry brittle hair uh, that seems problematic to me now if you want to avoid silicones then you know go for a standard rinse out conditioner with a cationic surfactant like behentrimony methosulfate or citrimonium chloride that can work too and if you want to do extra help uh some uh, having a polymer in there like polyquaternium 7 or 10 uh, that can also work uh, well uh, honestly to me 
Soaking your hair in coconut oil overnight, it just seems like a lot of work and a lot of overkill for uh, not very much benefit. Okay, we got a few more questions that came in here, and, um, you know, I still got some time here. Monica says, uh, is honey good for the skin? Is it better local or manuka? Okay, uh, well, so as far as is honey good for the skin, well, it depends on what you want to use it for. So if you want to make your skin sticky, well, that's great. <laughs> use honey. That's great for making your skin sticky. Um, and, you know, if you want to make your skin taste good, uh, taste sweet, uh, you know, honey's good for that. But as far as it being good for your skin, such as improving moisturization, making it look and feel better, I wouldn't say there's anything particularly useful about honey. It is a humectant, so you could get some moisturizing effect like uh, you would get from using something like glycerin, but glycerin is actually going to work better than honey. Um, however, you know, honey is in most people's kitchen, and it's not like putting honey on your skin is going to really be a negative thing. So, you know, if you want to experiment, you could do it. Uh, I don't see that it's going to be any great benefit for skin, however. Um, seems kind of like a waste of food to me, but, you know, people like to experiment with things. So, you know, there's no negative to using honey except wasting food, but it's I, I doubt there's going to be much positive to it. And as far as is it better to have a local honey or a, a manuka honey, which I imagine is from a specific place, uh, I, you're not going to see any differences there between local and uh, Manuka. So um, that's that's my, my thoughts there, but uh, thank you for the question. Okay, here's a question from Natasha about witch hazel. I have the glycolic acid by the Inky List, and the product says it contains witch hazel, and I'm allergic to tree nuts. Is this product still safe for me to use? Uh, is witch hazel a nut? Uh, is witch hazel a nut? I guess hazelnut is a nut, and hazelnut is a thing that people who are allergic to nuts need to avoid. Although, I have to say, uh, whether you need to avoid nuts in in your skincare products, that's something that may or may not be uh, a thing you need to do. Uh, there was, we talked about, I think, in episode 183, even putting peanut oil on the skin of people who are allergic to peanuts, to eating peanuts, didn't necessarily cause them big problems. Now, there's a very low level used in products, and uh, the I think the protein that, that people are allergic to aren't ne isn't necessarily effective when it's applied directly to the skin. However, I'm not saying that if you have a nut allergy that you don't have to worry about topical treatments, but uh, it's it's possible that you don't have a problem with them. But as far as witch hazel goes, you uh, will be happy to hear that witch hazel is not a tree nut. It is not at all related to hazelnuts. Uh, the, the term hazel, I think it comes from uh, German or something like that. It's, it's totally a different plant. So, no, witch hazel is not a tree nut, so you should be safe to use it. However, I will warn you that people can be allergic to witch hazel, uh, not not you don't have to have a nut allergy to be allergic to witch hazel. You could just be allergic to witch hazel. So whenever you try a product where you might 
have a potential to be allergic, I would recommend that you uh, do a small patch test on a small portion of your skin before you use it extensively on the rest of your body. Uh, That'll give you a chance to notice if you have any uh, negative impact of using that. So, But as far as the tree nut allergy and using witch hazel, you could use witch hazel. All right, I got a few more. Look at look at look at me go <laughs> knocking out these questions. Here's one that comes from Debbie. Debbie says some curly hair influencers talk about chelating shampoos, which are supposed to remove mineral buildup caused by hard water. Is there any truth to this? Do hard mineral deposits on hair isn't a regular shampoo good enough? Well, you know, Debbie, I appreciate your uh, skepticism. <laughs> so the the quick answer is no. There isn't enough chelating agents in shampoos to make much impact for removing mineral buildup caused by hard water. So, no, you don't really need to use a chelating shampoo specifically to remove stuff from your hair. Really, a regular shampoo is going to remove everything that you need. Now, uh, and really, if even if you have hard water, a regular shampoo is is going to be enough to remove any of those minerals. You also shouldn't be getting mineral buildup unless you're using a like a soap-based shampoo that's in your hair, and then that could cause a uh, insoluble salt that plates out in your hair. But overall, just running water through your hair, even if you have hard water, that's still mostly just going to be rinsed down the drain, and especially if you're using a shampoo and then later a conditioner. To be honest with you, the whole idea of a chelating shampoo is really just more of a marketing story more than any kind of benefits. The level of chelating agents that are in your shampoo are already tied up with the molecules and the ions that are in your shampoo. And then when you get it in the water or in the rinse water and it's on your hair, the chelating agents aren't really freed up. So it just really isn't going to help very much. Uh, We don't use a very high level of those in there. But it does make for a good story. And really, that's what this is all about. It's a marketing story that's based on some science. There's a logical scientific story that is going on here. Chelating agents really do combine with metal ions in solutions. It's just that in a system like a shampoo here, we we just don't use enough to do that. And if you did, there's just not enough metal ions that you need to remove from your hair to see any real benefit. You know, you know look, I will say this. There are only so many stories that people can tell to help differentiate their shampoo from someone else's shampoo. And as far as this goes, this is purely a marketing story. I mean, like I said, there's some scientific logic to it, but a story that is scientifically accurate doesn't mean that it's going to have any real-life impact on whether your hair feels good or looks good. It's chelating shampoos are simply marketing stories. Emily asks, do any shampoo or conditioners help with this condition? She's talking about post-menopause hair loss and thinning. Uh, So specifically, is there a shampoo or conditioner going to help with this condition? Uh, Now, it really sucks that this happens, uh, but I got to be honest with you. there There is no specific technology that will help 
specifically with post-menopause hair loss or thinning. I know companies are going to try to sell you that promise that there is, but honestly, there really isn't anything. And But there is things that you could use. Uh, for example, minoxidil. That can work for some people. But I will say this has nothing to do with menopausal hair. This has to do with anybody who is losing hair. Minoxidil is the only proven topical treatment for regrowing hair. I know, you know, people talk about caffeine or maybe biotin treatments or some other protein treatments or peptides. Those are all just talk. The only thing that's been proven is minoxidil, and even minoxidil is only going to work for about two-thirds of the people who use it. A third of the people won't get much benefit at all, and which is why a lot of people stop using it. However, this is one real uh, possible use for people, so it's a possible treatment, so it's worth trying. It has nothing to do with being postmenopausal or anything. Uh, it just works or it doesn't. Now, there, that's the only topical treatment. There is Propecia, which is a prescription drug, and that can help people. But again, this has nothing specifically to do with menopause. That's, that's relevant. You know, I wish I could offer some more helpful solutions, but honestly, we just don't have any really good hair growth or hair thinning solutions, certainly not topical anyone, anyway. And if something really did have an effect. This is going to come from a pharmaceutical company. It's not going to come uh, out of a cosmetic company or a shampoo and a conditioner, really, um, uh, unless there's somebody discovers something like the next minoxidil. But we, we haven't found that. And I know lots of companies promise it. And there's lots of research going on here because if you can crack this nut, that's a huge market. Uh, our populations are getting older. People are more worried about hair loss and hair thinning and, you know, uh, everything that's out there right now are, are are just ineffective, empty promises, if you ask me. All right, time for two more, I think. Here's one from Stein. Stein says, I love my solely water-based products, hydrating mist and serums, but do they have any effect? Given the skin's lipophilic outer structure, how does any hydrophobic compound or molecule, say vitamin C, glycerin, water-soluble botanical extracts, and, and such, penetrate the skin? Well, I will tell you how they help the skin. They make you feel better, so that's something. You know, you, you feel sort of run down. You spray one of these mists in your face, and it sort of brightens up your mood, right? It usually has a little bit of a fragrance in it, and so that can help. It's sort of an aromatherapy kind of a thing. Uh, and so they make you feel good. So they are at least doing that. They have that effect. But as far as penetrating your skin, uh, these ingredients really are not going to be penetrating your skin beyond the stratum corneum. So, you know, hydrophilic compounds, they don't get very far in the skin. Now, I will say they, they can get past the uh, lipophilic outer structure because you know, we have this brick and mortar concept of the outer layer of the skins. And so the bricks are the corneocytes or the dead skin cells. And those, you are correct, those are lipophilic mostly. So uh, that just means water things can't penetrate there, which is good because, you know, you can dive in the water and all the water doesn't soak into you and <laughs> you swell up like a giant tick. But the skin will block out those uh, watery materials. But in between all of those corneocytes is... Uh, 
sort of what, what we call the natural moisturizing factor, and this is where you find ceramides and you find some hyaluronic acid a little bit. So these are the, uh, the hydrophilic portions of the skin. And it's through these hydrophilic, uh, the mortar that surrounds these uh, corneocytes, that's where these ingredients can start to penetrate and they can get through the skin to some extent. But you are correct. The deeper that these water-soluble ingredients get into the skin, the, the, less, the, the harder it gets for them to penetrate any further. And so these ingredients really are just going to stay in the outer layers, the stratum corneum of your, your skin. And, you know, they will help you feel better and give you some moisturization, but they're not actually getting down to the dermis where they're going to have uh, the effect. So these ingredients, it's mostly a, a feel-good thing that gives you a little moisture in the outside layers of your skin, but it's not really doing much more beyond that. All right, my voice is getting a little tired, so we're going to go with the final question from Ruby. Ruby says, does Aveeno Positively Smooth Shave Gel actually help you shave less often? If so, how does that work? Well, this was an interesting product. It reminds me of uh, Jurgens had a product uh, which uh, also made this claim of that you shaved less. And uh, first of all, I want to say the product is created by Avino, which is owned by Johnson & Johnson. So they're certainly not going to be making some claim that they can't justify. So you can bet they have some sort of clinical test and lab study that demonstrates that uh, you shave less often, or at least if we look at the claim, let's look at specifically what they say. They say, this creamy shaving gel is uniquely formulated with natural soy and rich emollients to help immediately soften and condition hair, making it easier for you to get a closer shave and to shave less often with continuous use. Okay, so there's the claim there. They uh, uniquely formulated. Yeah, everybody's formula is uniquely formulated. The natural soy th that doesn't matter. That's that's just an emollient, and then rich emollient. So that's the part that's making the skin and the hair feel softer. And now this idea of you being able to get a closer shave—it's true. If you shave your hair closer, uh, then it takes longer to grow back to a level where you want to shave it again. And so in that way, uh, yeah, that that could support that. So basically what they're saying is the product softens and conditions the hair. That's easy enough to do. You know, anybody can do that. That's easy enough to prove. Um, and then it says you can get a closer shave. So uh, they probably demonstrated this in a lab test where they had uh, panelists you know, use a shaving cream and maybe use this gel and they could show that there's people thought that their skin felt better or like they needed to shave less. So, you know, if you have to shave, uh, shave closer, you don't have to shave as often. It seems like a logical argument, but in, in practice, honestly, I doubt you're going to see much difference. Uh, but it's like you have to think about what makes you decide that it's time for you to shave. Most people are, just it's just a habit, right? You do it uh, one day, you do it a couple days later. Why do you do it? I don't know, you're, you're, you feel the hair a little bit more, and if one day you feel it and it doesn't feel as bad, maybe you're gonna skip that day, you're just gonna shave the next day. 
in reality, I doubt that this is going to make you shave much less often, maybe one less time a month. Is that significant to people? I, I doubt it. I doubt you really notice much difference. But I will say they maybe they're implying or they're hoping that you as a consumer, as a user, get the idea that it's going to impact the speed at which your hair grows. And I can definitely say that this product does not affect the speed at which your hair grows. Um, it just affects the way that you feel about your hair and whether it's time for you to shave or not. So uh, that's what I say. That's That would be how it works. It's more of a psychological working thing. Um, but And whether it does work or not, like I said, I don't think you're going to find uh, a significant difference in reality, but, you know, it, if you believe that it's working, well, well then maybe it might work. And speaking of work, uh, I'm, I've worked the heck out of this show, and I am going to wrap it up now. Thanks so much for listening. Valerie's going to be back next time. She's just working a bit today. Uh, and I, of course, will be back next time. Hey, if you get a chance, can you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there or wherever you listen to your podcast? Feel free to uh, rate us a review there. We always like to get feedback and ratings, and that's going to help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And speaking of that, if you want to get your question and your voice on the show, you can record it on your smartphone and then email that to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you like what we're gonna, we do. We don't notice. We notice we don't have commercials, and we do that specifically so we can talk about whatever product we want without worrying about uh, annoying a sponsor or something like that. And so that's why you don't hear any commercials. But the only way we can get that going is through your support on Patreon. So if you want to support the show and what we're doing, go to Patreon.com/slash/TheBeautyBrains and subscribe at any level. We are so thankful for all of our patrons and uh, we're gonna answer your questions uh, more quickly than any other question that we get we prioritize uh, patron questions and also you can follow us on our various social media accounts on instagram or the beauty brains 2018 on twitter we're at the beauty brains and we have a facebook page we're also squatting on a tiktok page but boy i just do not know if i can get on tiktok uh it's just another social media thing that uh, seems to be very distracting, and I have not yet been distracted by it. But, uh, you know, I'm willing to learn. All right, that's it for me today. Thank you again for listening to the Beauty Brains. And remember, as Valerie and Randy before her always said, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens!